You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring in news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 301. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Onika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son! How are you mm. guys? Not bad. Not for bad. The good, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. What meaning? <laughs> yeah, it turns out that COVID has reached our household. Oh no. Yeah. I have so far tested negative on three consecutive home tests, uh, antigen tests. Mm. But I, I'm not sure it's going to stay that way. Only today I started noticing a couple of unusual uh, symptoms in myself. So um, I have no idea where I'm heading at the moment. So hope, guys, that you are okay. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, well. <clears throat> but but all, all your family members are vaccinated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are all vaccinated. My vaccination, probably my a booster is in order if I'm I'm living through this without actually catching COVID. I got AstraZeneca and based on the numbers, based on the, the available detail, AstraZeneca is, it's not the most efficacious among them all. Mm-hmm. So I would gladly get a jab of um, Moderna or uh, Pfizer, which uh, according to the numbers are still, still one of the best. Yeah. Wow. Okay, hope well, it goes well. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. At least better than uh, than freaking COP26 got, uh, did, right? Yeah, climate Guys, change. Guys, such, such a disappointment. Yeah. yeah. Cool. They achieved fuck all. I mean, mm. <laughs> I mean, they came together, all the leaders of, of different countries, the conference of the parties, and it's been the 26th o- occasion to do that. And they only agreed on, yeah, yeah, we, we, we were on track on to achieve no more than 1.5 degrees, but no details as to how. So actual outlines of actions have not been published. The only thing that they went into detail with, a little bit more detail, is not the phasing out, but the phasing down yeah. of coal. Of yeah. the usage of coal. Yeah, I was about to say that China and India, they're probably happy with their conference because they managed to put torpedo it at the last minute. Exactly. And went home happy. So they, they watered down the whole wording of what they agreed on. And the, the politicians are celebrating. They say that they've achieved so much. But come on, you've achieved fuck all, nothing. Basically, you agreed that, okay, let's convene in, an, in a year from now Mm. and discuss the details. Yeah. But that means that we are one year closer to the deadline of cutting the emissions in half by 2030 and and one year closer to the to the deadline of 2050 having to bring it down to net zero. Yeah. I'm getting more and more pessimistic about this by the day. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't very impressive, I agree. No, and then there was so much fuss about it. There was so much fanfare and fanfare, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fanfare, uh, yes. I, yeah, yeah, so so it's, I don't know, but I'm very deeply, deeply and utterly disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe we should give them a golden aluhut, <laughs> a golden tinfoil hat. Yes. Um, oh, what's that? What's that? And uh, yeah, yeah, we, we should, but what's that? <laughs> yeah, we definitely should. It's an award that is giving uh, given out and uh, yeah it's, it was three weeks ago that's why we didn't really we <laughs> yeah we had like episode 300 and then we had before that we had an interview and that's why we didn't report about it yet but yeah the Goldner Aluhut is um, an award ceremony and it's given out to special people that deserve it for example conspiracy theorists people that peddle conspiracy theories Mm-hmm. esoterics and this time it's german based mm-hmm. german language based and what i can tell you is that for example they have different categories and for conspiracy theories in general michael wendler got the prize and got the golden tinfoil hat before covid he was just a german singer and now he's very well known for peddling <laughs> conspiracy oh, theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why that happens with famous people. They always yes. think they know everything about uh, medicine suddenly. Yeah. 
It's it's probably because they, a lot of people pay attention to what they say, and that gives them the sense of importance. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they, they say, they everybody applauds, so they must be yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 This time, the INH, the Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathy, they could also give out the, the prize for their student competition that um, INH and GWUP gave out. So mm -hmm. they um, they just combined this these two award ceremonies, and it was really interesting. You could watch it in person or um, via streaming, and I've seen a few cool pictures, for example, of my friend Susanna Aust on the on the stage mm -hmm. and giving out awards. So, yeah, that was really cool to see. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about that and what the connection might be with uh, GVOP and uh, Ian Ha. Because I saw a couple of pictures and I saw Norbert Aust and Susanne Aust, yeah, yeah. both of them on the stage. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's because INH belongs to GWUP and GWUP belongs to yes, critically minded people, which like <laughs> as does the golden tinfoil hat. <laughs> mm, okay. The golden tinfoil hat. It's, I, I like it. Yeah. You know what a, what a tinfoil hat cannot save you from? Uh, anything, actually. Lightning? <laughs> Lightning bolt? <laughs> Lightning bolt, nothing. Yeah, it can save you from nothing. <laughs> oh, uh, rain. What, it can maybe save you from rain. <laughs> probably, probably, but definitely not from space debris. Nah. <laughs> oh, no. And those fucking Russians did it. Oh, my God. These guys are actually bringing a lot of shit to the low Earth orbit. They put their own citizens in harm's way. What I'm referring to is that a couple of days days ago, so this is not very old news, we're going to be talking about stuff that, that happened a month ago, but this one only a couple of days ago that it happened, and that was that a Russian satellite basically sent up in the 1980s, and it was, well, a Soviet satellite, actually, not, not even Russian only, but the defense ministry, they confirmed that they tested out an anti-satellite system, and they basically shut down this defunct satellite that was in orbit since 1982, and orbiting at around 17,000 miles per hour, quite quite a high velocity, but it's still a low Earth orbit. The problem with this is that, as a result, they generated about 1,500 pieces of space junk. Mm. At low Earth orbit, which is already littered, massively littered with uh, with this space junk, you know NASA is is currently tracking twenty seven thousand pieces, smaller pieces of space debris, and we have no exact idea, only estimates as to how much of the the little tiny pieces there are out there. Yeah, you remember that the the film Gravity? <laughs> yes, yes. So that's basically the same scenario. No. <laughs> Uh, the thing is that yeah. even if they're very small, these the, the debris is very small, they, it travels in, in enormous uh, velocity. So if you're hit or if your rocket or satellite is hit, is hit by one of them, it's disastrous. Yeah, or the ISS for mm. that matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, they them. had to, the, the ISS astronauts, among them two Russian astronauts actually. They had to all take on their tinfoil hats just in case. Well, a bit, bit more than that mm -hmm. was that what, what they had to do because they had to climb into their vehicles, the park vehicles on the ISS, that could have helped them return back to Earth should there have been anything terrible happening as a result. They had to move the space stations to a different orbit to try to avoid a collision. Did they ask Boris to do that? For a couple, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we should play that uh, from time to time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to remind our listeners what what that was. Yep. So yeah, it's really scary shit. And after a couple of hours, they they returned back to the space station. But still, that was an emergency situation that they found themselves in. The astronauts out there—that's terrible. I mean, there were four American, one German, and two Russian astronauts actually yeah. on the space station. So fuck that. It's and the problem is that there are no sanctions whenever someone does that. And it's not the Russians that did it first. 2007, in China tested a similar weapon and shut down their own satellite, <laughs> uh, which resulted in a, in a similarly large amount of debris. But this should be banned. This mm. should not be allowed. Mm. We have a problem with the space debris already. And generating more 
intentionally, that's just reckless. That's just ridiculously stupid. Yeah. We're basically rendering low Earth orbit unusable or unfit for use, which is probably not where we should be heading. Pretty stupid. But we're mm. already doing that with Earth as well, right? So we yeah. don't have to go up to we space. We litter to do everything that. we get our hands on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, before we start the actual show today, I want to plug something. And on Wednesday next week, the 1st of December, the Swedish skeptics will have a Skeptics in the Pub online talk. And this is with somebody we all know and love. It is Richard Saunders, who will talk about Ooh. the Great Australian <laughs> Psychic Prediction Project. We're calling it The Adventures of Richard Saunders. Normally, I don't plug these events here, but this is this time it's going to be in English. So uh, we will put the link in the show notes. You follow it via Twitch, and then there will be possibilities to uh, sending questions to Richard and or myself, because I will be there as well. That's, that's going <laughs> to be nice. This is Richard Saunders from Sydney, Australia, the producer of the Skeptic Zone podcast. Since 2008, The Skeptic Zone has been bringing you interviews, insights, reports and investigations covering the world of science and skepticism. Join me and my team of reporters each week at www.skepticzone.tv Good. All right, so we've already mentioned that we have a lot that we tried to squeeze into this episode, so uh, why don't we move on? Yes. And let's start with the segment that is called This Week in Skeptical History. Twish. I just I just realized we can use that. Twish. Twish. And I looked it up. I tried finding out if uh, we've already talked about this, but apparently not. And that is on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favorite phrases in the struggle for life. Okay. Pithy title. <laughs> it's a very easy title. You know how much deliberation <laughs> was going on before it was published for the first time? It's ridiculous how long it took them to agree on the title. But this was the title of the book that was published on the 24th of November, 1859. It basically changed the way we approach biology. The idea of evolution, it, it was called the transmutation of species, had already been there. And a lot of people uh, debated it. A lot of people didn't accept it. That was basically because the scientific community of the time was very closely tied to the Church of England. And theologians and, and all those people were the ones who were trained and well-versed in science. But um, there was this guy who originally didn't even really believe in the transmutation of species, uh, even though his, I think it was his grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, already wrote about some of that. And Darwin, as a young man, was not really into this stuff. He started studying medicine, but then left to become natural historian, basically. So in 1831, he went on an expedition, a five-year-long year expedition on the Beagle, HMS Beagle, as a gentleman geologist and naturalist. And that was really an, a very important and special title. And he collected a lot of specimens. And uh, with those, he started formulating his own theory later on. But he read stuff like Charles Lyell's Principles of Geology, uh, which gave him an idea of how long a time scale we're talking about. But then in 1838, I think it was, he came across Thomas Malthus's An Essay on the Principle of Population. And that gave him further ideas as to how the dynamics, the population dynamics work. And this led to basically him working out the theory of natural selection and how the, the mechanisms of natural selection, how they work. Why this is important is because it was towards the end of the 1830s, the ideas and the, the complete theory has already been formulated, but he took 20 years to gather all the data and to become, if not content, but at least realize that he had to publish it. 
And one of the reasons why he decided to go for it was that there was this guy by the name Alfred Russell Wallace, who was in Southeast Asia collecting a lot of specimen. And he formulated the same idea, but he wrote down his theory in just a couple of pages. And then by then, it was in 19, uh, 1857, and by then Darwin had already sketched up a massive piece of work. He draw parallels between artificial selection and natural selection. It was amazing how thorough he was in trying to provide pieces of evidence to all the things that he said. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this. From a scientific and skeptical point of view, his approach to this idea and his approach to trying to back up his arguments with details and with evidence is absolutely amazing. He didn't think his work was finished, but he decided to go for it in order to be able to claim that he was the first to come up with the idea. That was a bit of a rush for him, which made him very uncomfortable. And at the beginning, it, it didn't really stir up much controversy. But when Thomas Henry Huxley came into the picture, usually referred to as Darwin's bulldog, <laughs> he really made it a theme and a topic for huge debates in the, the scientific societies and, and community. This made Darwin's work probably one of the most important pieces of, of work in the history of, of biology. Towards the end of the 19th century, it was somewhat dying out in a way, but then came the 1930s when basically the, the, the modern evolutionary synthesis brought it back to life and brought it back to light. And uh, now we consider it the basis of uh, the modern evolutionary theories. So Darwin published his work not, not Darwin was the, the one who published it, but John Murray. That publishing company was the biggest star in London back then. It was published on the 24th of November, 1859. And it, it got a big hit, but yeah, the scientific controversy came later. That's this week in Skeptical History. Very important. <laughs> yeah, but I understand from a question back on our episode 300 that um, Pontus, you're holding a grudge against the Pope. So uh, <laughs> do, you have, do you have something to poke him for this week? Mm -hmm. And a special edition this week because Pontus was right. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> okay. Okay, even better. No, uh, so back in June, that was in episode 280, I predicted that the Bishop's Council in the US would not stop Joe Biden from taking the Eucharist because of his public stance on abortion. At that time, there was a lot of speculation and the American bishops voted on that they would produce a document later on this year regarding the rules for the Eucharist, for the Holy Crackers, that is. <laughs> a lot of speculation at the time if they should target people in prominent official positions and say that if they are not good representatives for the church, then they shouldn't be allowed to take part in communion. And of course, everybody realized that they are talking about Joe Biden. But now they've signed the document and uh, no, no such thing. Just as I predicted, they didn't do that. Didn't do that. The document that they signed is saying that people in uh, public authority have a special responsibility to follow the church teachings, just like I alluded to before. But there's no indication of consequences if they do not. So there's no ban, there's no mention of Biden, and actually only one passing mention of abortions uh, altogether. So he dodged that bullet, Mr. Biden. <laughs> okay. Uh, back at home in the Vatican, Francis has had a rough week. First, there was this news about a male ex-gigolo who claims that he gave Francis a list of 50 <laughs> customers that he had had in the Vatican. Not Francis, but the gigolo. And okay. uh, he, uh, so he's just saying that I have given this list to Francis a long time ago, but nothing is happening. So maybe that's business as usual, but it's now <laughs> being a minor scandal uh, down there. Then there is another ongoing scandal. This goes back to 1983, when a 13-year-old girl who lived in the Vatican just disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to her. There's been a lot of speculation over the years. The girl was called Emanuela Orlandi, 
Her brother is now accusing Frankie to cover it up. So last week he charged Pope Francis for, quote, more than anyone else, end quote, uh, refusing to come clean. And that means he's comparing Francis to the other popes and Francis is the worst of them. So that's not good. This is becoming like a shouting competition now. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody. Yeah, it must be hard day at work for Francis this week. Oh, yeah. uh, but it's not over because there's also the famous trial of the century that I've been talking about for since July, I think. It's against uh, Cardinal Angelo Becciu and actually nine other officials. Mm. But uh, Becciu is the most important person because he actually is a cardinal, which is the first time. A cardinal has been charged with criminal offenses like this in the Vatican. And let's face it, this is a cardinal issue. <laughs> it is, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So this is Sorry. about a 400 million euro real estate deal in London that was using Peter's Pence funds. And Peter's Pence's funds are actually supposed to go to the poor, not to buy fancy real estate. And anyway, they managed to... They backed out on the deal, but it cost them 150 million euro to do so. So there's a lot of accusations. That's the trial of the century. And this week or last week, the prosecution first said that they had consulted with Francis about certain things. And then when people said, well, did you talk to Francis about this? Is this he, does he know something about this that we don't know? And then, of course, they took it back. No, no, that's not what we meant at all. We're just referring to uh, something he said in a public meeting. But OK, <laughs> that doesn't is sound it intentional very that you try. Yeah, yeah. Is it intentional that you tried to say this with an Italian accent? <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, or, or probably not. But, it's uh, something but it that he said. <laughs> but it works. Eh? <laughs> Sorry to all our Italian listeners. I, I promise to try to not do that again. Uh, <laughs> then the judge in this trial again had to demand that the prosecution hands over 28 missing video clips with uh, one of the witnesses, uh, a certain Alberto Perlasca, who was formerly the head of financial affairs within the Secretariat of State. And he actually signed all these deals, but he is evading prosecution because he be he became an informer instead. <laughs> and then now there are two hours worth of uh, interviews with Perlaska that the prosecution don't want to hand over to the defense, which is, of course, crazy. This is the second time they had to ask, and they've still not handed it over. And then the last thing about this trial is that the judge actually hinted that the trial may not be um, continued, that it will be dismissed for some reason. That was met with big raised eyebrows by anyone. What, what does it mean? But he didn't explain that. He said, if we go forward with this trial. And so what, what do you mean, if? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. So, uh, and if, I mean, that would be the big scandal if the trial just folds and, and, they, and yeah. they didn't it's, they stopped investigating so much for for going after corruption mr francis so mm. overall a tough time for frankie this week yeah we'll see what happens next week <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you very much for that pontus and okay. that means that we are moving on to the news When it comes to the news, we could have uh, separated this into a COVID-19 uh, COVID update segment, but I think we just mentioned a couple of COVID-related pieces at the beginning, and then we we're going to move on to uh, other stuff. So, with regards to COVID, I would like to start in Austria, where the government decided to lock down the country completely. Effective this Monday, Chancellor Alexander Schallenberg and uh, Minister of Health uh, mm. Wolfgang Mückstein. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't butcher their name. Okay. No, perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So they announced on Friday that uh, everything will be closed, effective Monday, except for grocery shopping and, and everything that's related to daily needs. Um, now, one could argue that uh, some people have their daily needs uh, as to go to a restaurant and, uh, I don't know, go to concerts. But, um, yeah, they go back to lockdown and schools and kindergartens will remain open. But another very controversial announcement was made. As of February 2022, 
they will start making vaccinations mandatory. That will stir up quite a controversy, I'm sure. So (laughs) uh, there will be issues. Obviously, FFP2 masks are also mandatory in all closed rooms, including workplaces. That will probably mean that home offices will be re-implemented again, even there where people have already gone back to work. This is Austria's answer to an ever-growing number of uh, COVID cases in the country. There is a massive surge in the COVID-related incidents, but in general, they don't do that badly with regards to vaccination rates, because they are currently at 69% of the population having received at least one uh, jab, and 65% has been fully vaccinated. Being our neighbours, they are doing still doing much better than we do mm-hmm. because we have a 63% and it's slowing. It's not moving forward. We are already giving out the booster shots where almost 40% of the population has not been given a first shot. That's terrible. That's but uh, Austria is doing better than we do. I don't know what we are going to have if we are going back to a lockdown, but I think that the Austrian government has made the right decision. The uptake is not high enough for the population to go back to normal, and the surge of cases show that the problem has not been solved yet. So... Yeah, but you're right that there will probably be a lot of pushback and and hell to pay in in Austria oh, because exactly. of these new. Uh, we just this is not a new segment actually, but I'm just going to mention that we've had seen riot in the Netherlands, in in Belgium, <laughs> and even yeah. in Sweden, who is in, in for, actually implementing some restrictions first of December, which is that you have to have a vaccine pass if you attend a bigger gathering than 100 persons. The Swedish ombudsman for the government and the parliament has received over the weekend half the yearly number of complaints from Mm. people. So, (laughs) wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a country that's also not doing well is uh, Germany. Yay. Oh, wow. We have an incidence rate number of 399.8 right now. The incidence rate is infections per 100,000 citizens or inhabitants. Mm-hmm. The higher the number, the worse. <laughs> and um, what you should know is like the bigger, the bigger spikes that we had in the last winter <laughs> and in the first infection in March 2020, we never reached 400 before. Never. Mm. And um, yeah, you can imagine how how bad that is. If you if you want to have like infections, <laughs> then it's like uh, six hundred and fifty one thousand four hundred eighty six are infected right now. If you would look at a at a map, <laughs> then you would see that every single part of Germany is either red or even purple, and that means it's even worse than red. And uh-huh. it's not fun. If you, for example, would look at my little county, we're not doing that badly. We mm-hmm. have an incidence rate of 248. But here you can also see that like where the infections right now are coming from. We have 500 infections for like the 5 to 14-year-olds alone. The school children, pretty much, yeah. are the biggest group of yeah, infections. Yeah, because they're not vaccinated to the same extent. Yeah, or like, they couldn't have been vaccinated yet. It's a bit scary and we're, we're just like, we're hoping that it doesn't come to a lockdown or that Germany won't be named a risk uh, country because... As you guys know, and some of our listeners might know too, that uh, Scotty and I still want to go to Australia <laughs> around oh. winter. So yeah, yeah. well, we, we'll just hope that the country stays open. But of course, not only for that reason, but also it would be good if not more people get infected. Right. Yeah, I understand that the, the situation in Germany is is pretty bad at this moment. And, and did you hear, Annika, what Jens Spahn said the other day? He said, uh, and I'm quoting here, pretty much everyone will have been vaccinated, have recovered or have died after this winter. That is very likely with the Delta (laughs) variant. That's what he said. You can take from that that he's getting a bit frustrated, but I I wonder if that was a wise thing to say, Mm, really. What do you say, Andras? First of all, it it cannot be true. No, there will still be people who have not come across the virus, will not have been infected. So there will still be people out there who haven't 
well, I think, I think that. that's what he implies that if you don't get vaccinated, then you you will get it. You can get it if even if you're vaccinated. Yeah. So that's yeah, yeah, right. And and this is fear mongering. And also, I think it can be used by anti-vaxxers pointing at him and saying that that is an irresponsible thing to say. And also, if he was right, mm-hmm. it would also send a signal that then the pandemic is over. Because if everybody mm. is either recovered, vaccinated, or dead, then there's nothing left for the for the virus to do. <laughs> but so that was probably a stupid thing to say, but it was uh, got a lot of press, I think. And you you mentioned numbers uh, before, Annick. Uh, mm. That's not the worst, though. I was I looked at our world in data to see how that compares, and uh, the worst is Slovakia and Czechia with. 1,800 and 1,600 per million per day infected, respectively. Mm -hmm. That's uh, more than doubled what Germany has. And you mentioned Austria, Andras, it's up there too. Then we have Belgium, Netherlands, where where they have the riots, of course. And uh, Croatia, Ireland, all of them are over 1,000. And Hungary, uh, I'm sorry to say, Andras, is at uh, 960 according to today's night, so just below 1,000. We have around the 600 mark. We also have Denmark, Greece, Lithuania, and the UK. Mm. A little bit surprisingly, I think, Sweden, who used to be so high up in the numbers and being so criticized, they are at 88. We are now suddenly best in Europe for some (laughs) reason. And it just shows how hard it is to... uh, predict how this will go yeah the only thing we know is that vaccination helps even if it is a bit surprising that the vaccine doesn't stop the spread as much as we thought it would it just means that uh, the herd immunity level is very high you have to be at a very high level uh, of the population and no country is there yet and anyway it helps uh, because even if you get it the covid is much less aggressive if you're vaccinated oh there is one thing that i think we should mention when it comes to herd immunity i don't think we should even talk about herd immunity with regards to covid19 anymore Mm. because for herd immunity there is one criterion that you have to meet and that is that you run out of people who can be Infected. infected yeah that's true and that is not the case with covid19 even those who are fully vaccinated can easily be infected will probably not experience a terrible outcome but it still means that they might be infected and this is not communicated well the risk of transmission or a reinfection by someone who got infected is somewhat smaller if you are vaccinated you are somewhat less likely to pass it on in our country, the stupid decision was made that when we reach 5 million vaccinations, we could just basically drop the mask. Mm. That was stupid. It was it was not based on any scientific evidence. It was a political decision. It was a political decision. And then people decided to go against vaccinations in general because the experts wanted to say that you have to wear the masks in order to avoid transmission. But then people started arguing that, yeah, then what the hell do you need the vaccine for? <laughs> because it doesn't stop transmission. And it really doesn't, but it, it relieves the healthcare system a great deal. And that means that much more people can actually be saved and a lot fewer people will have severe illnesses if they are vaccinated. And that's, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. That should not be something that we even, even debate or doubt. The data is out there. It's obvious. But since we're talking about vaccinations and people who talk rubbish, uh, <laughs> there's one person who recently said something that, first of all, not true. And secondly, uh, it got picked up and anti-vax people are now running with it. And that is Bayer executive, Bayer's president, Stefan Ulrich. Bayer is a a multinational German pharmaceutical company that we we probably all heard of. And we are all on on the payroll of, uh, apparently, at (laughs) least according to to some some (laughs) anti-vaxxers and and some anti-skeptics. So he said not too long ago, towards the end of October in Berlin, at a health summit, a World Health Summit, where there were 6,000 people from 120 countries. And he said that um, 
Ultimately, the mRNA vaccines are an example for the cell and gene therapy. He went on to say, and I quote, I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago in the public, would you be willing to take a gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body? We probably would have had a 95% refusal rate. Stefan Ulrich talks basically rubbish. Mm-hmm. First of all, this sentence got picked up. Now it's circulating online with the statement that the mRNA vaccines are gene therapy, which is not true. And the other thing is that if people had known that it was gene therapy, they would have refused to take the vaccines. That's the take-home message for the anti-vax people from that silly statement. So what's the basis of the statement? First of all, Bayer last year launched a large project of, I think it was about 150 million euro, research into gene therapy, which is a legitimate thing. It's something that you have to do research on. But they are pushing for it. And now, basically, I think it was a marketing. It, it was like a PR announcement for him. He, he wanted to make the connection with the mRNA vaccine so that they say that gene therapy research is legit. Because look at that, that the mRNA vaccines are gene therapy as well. But the, the, the mRNA vaccines do nothing like gene therapy. Gene therapy try to modify your cell's genetic material, also known as the DNA, in order to achieve some therapeutic effect, right? Yes. But the problem is, when people argue that it's gene therapy, they refuse to acknowledge the fact that the mRNA vaccines do not alter the DNA. In order for you to alter the DNA, you need something that is called the reverse transcriptase. Transcription occurs, it's, it's called the central dogma of molecular biology, that the information flows from the DNA to RNA and on to the production of proteins. In order for the RNA to do some reverse transcription and to alter the DNA, you have to have a certain enzyme that is called reverse transcriptase. And that's an enzyme that that is used by RNA viruses, for example, when they have to do that in order to convince the cell to produce their own genetic material instead of its own. And the reverse transcriptase is also used in something that is called the polymerase chain reaction, the PCR, Mm. that we've heard so much of in the last two years or so. You can only do this polymerase chain reaction with DNA samples. But for an RNA virus, like the one that we are facing right now, you can't do it without doing the, 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 the reverse transcription. So you have to translate the RNA to DNA in order to do the polymerase chain reaction, okay? Gene therapy requires you to alter the cell's DNA. And without that, you cannot do that. And the mRNA vaccines do not have a reverse transcriptase in them. So they have no freaking means to do that. No. And yet, all over the place, you hear it referred to as gene therapy, Even some biologists, even people who claim to understand genetics and molecular genetics, but it's not. So stop calling it that. And especially if you're such an influential person like Stefan Ulrich, who's Bayer's president, don't say stupid things like that because it will be picked up by the Antifax people. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, let's leave COVID for a while uh, and talk about something <laughs> else because there are other things as well. We have mm-hmm. often talked about alternative so-called cures that uh, don't work or actually don't do anything. And here's another mm-hmm. so-called treatment that I don't think we have ever mentioned or not enough anyway, for some reason, when we talk about things that are quote-unquote alternative, and that is cough syrup. And this wasn't news to me, but I'm surprised that skeptics almost never bring this up. The common cough syrups that you can buy without prescription in the pharmacies do not work. This is a known fact. An MD and researcher at Lund University in Sweden called Lennart Hansson calls these so-called remedies for hocus-pocus. And he points out (laughs) that it's well known among experts that they are bogus. No matter if you feel... You think you feel a certain relief after taking them. There's no actual 
expectorant effect in the throat and i had to look up expectorant but that means you, <laughs> you <laughs> make the mucus a little bit more fluid there are other drugs as well that you get through prescriptions but they don't work either it's all a placebo effect mm. so an, an expert council at the region of the health region of stockholm appears to agree with lennart hansson they have sent out written information and advice to all mds and health personnel in their area pointing out that there is no good evidence for these drugs at all. Uh, so, so you were aware of this, guys, or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's been known for decades, I think. And I wonder, mm-hmm. first of all, I wonder why it's still sold. And, I, and the second of all, I wonder why we skeptics don't talk about it uh, more. Elena Hansson goes on to say that the coughing, of course, has a purpose. And the mucus in the throat is there to help you get rid of the bacteria So it's probably not a good idea to try to interfere with it, even if it did work. So I guess the message is that don't waste your money on cough syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know what else you shouldn't do? And a lot of people go down that road. They take cough syrups, expectorants, and then they take something that will prevent them from coughing. So like uh, the two. You basically loosen up the mucus that you should probably get rid of cough it up and instead of that you will have the loosened up mucus sitting in your lungs yeah don't do that because you don't yeah you stop yourself from coughing it out then it's lucky that it doesn't work then but if it worked it would be terrible yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah something that also doesn't work is ivermectin Mm -hmm. yeah that's right (laughs) ivermectin works for um if you're a horse and you have worms because that's what it made for, what it's made for and funnily enough ivermectin is at times sold out in austria oh. so <laughs> um, must have had a lot of sick horses there at the moment yeah, i guess all of them all of them yeah. it's it's a pandemic of worms well at least there are a lot of people talking horse shit so <laughs> yeah. it's like exactly horse shit bullshit all the same <laughs> Yeah, and ivermectin needs a prescription in Austria. Funnily enough, it's still sold out. That's bad news for the horses. That means that some doctors are prescribing it then. Must yes. be. Two, two humans. Mm. Yeah. Unless there's a like, lot yeah. of horses with... Uh, no, exactly. Can't be. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy the horses though. That's <laughs> bad news for them because <laughs> but, but, but they will not be dewormed. Yeah, there's mm. actually a joke um, around the internet where one horse says to the other, you will never believe why I still have worms. <laughs> yeah and people think it um, would help against COVID-19 and in Austria this is pretty much going back to the politician Herbert Kickel who said that ivermectin would keep uh, people from having a severe reaction to COVID-19 if only there was a vaccine doing that right (laughs) politicians should not be trusted with giving advice to, to be health advice to people no one should be trusted with medical advice except medical doctors and medical researchers <laughs> oh well not necessarily even them <laughs> like the consensus between them maybe <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm not in general i'm not talking talking in general uh, sense but some medical doctors can really go down that the terrible road of of believing shit yes and uh, one of those is uh, dot- uh was dottore domenico giannola mm. Sounds Italian. Yeah, about a month ago in Sicily, in Chinesi. He was hospitalized and in a couple of hours from from getting into the hospital, he died of COVID. The guy was a proponent of uh, anthroposophic medicine and especially homeopathy. So he was a homeopath. And he, like, boasted several times that, that he would not catch COVID. And even about a year ago, you can find um, a link on our show notes that leads to a YouTube video where he tells about his special cures. Basically, what it, it, it all boils down to is that he tried to cure himself with homeopathy, and apparently it didn't work. Mm. So uh, Surprise. Yeah. And he was a medical doctor. Yeah. All right. I will desperately try to keep the topic out of uh, COVID. So here's something else. <laughs> and this, <laughs> okay. this comes from our special correspondent, Bob, who often send us good little topics to talk about. So keep it up, Bob. And all you other listeners, you can do the same. 
We appreciate mm-hmm. it very much. So info at the ESP.eu. Anyway, this is something that always rubs me the wrong way. And this is when courts and legal instances butt into what should be decided by science and evidence. So there's mm. a couple living in Tarn or Tarn. I don't know how it's pronounced in, in French, but it is in the south of France. And they were awarded 110,000 euros after they said they had health problems that they claim were caused by wind farms. The couple claimed that they experienced a range of health problems, including headaches, insomnia, heart irregularities, depression, dizziness, tinnitus, and nausea for more than two years, insisting that it was caused by six wind turbines set up uh, 700 <laughs> meters away from their home oh. at Fontrieux. I think that I did better with that one. Fontrieux, that's apparently a village or city. 700 meters, you don't even hear that special kind of noise that they make. That ooh, ah, but they claim ooh, that they did. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. In the trial, oh. doctors failed to find any health problems with the couple, but one court expert said, quote-unquote, turbine syndrome had been previously identified by scientific research. That's what he said. There have been a lot of scientific studies of this in Europe, in Canada, in the US, and they've all debunked that this is a thing. There was an Australian study that found that sickness attributed to wind turbines were more likely to be have been caused by people getting alarmed by the health warnings that was circulated by cranks. Researchers there in this Australian study said that it was, quote, essentially a sociological phenomenon, end quote, and giving it name uh, names like, uh, quote, wind turbine syndrome was a key <laughs> feature spreading the idea that uh, wind turbines can be bad for you. And um, But now the worst thing is that now since it was ruled in a court, then activists will say that it was proved in court that uh, it is uh, harmful. I-, I hate that. I hate it when it happens. And just to be clear, before we finish with wind turbines, I'm not saying there's no problems with wind turbines. It can be bad for wildlife and especially birds and bats, things like that. I'm not saying that it's totally harmless, but saying that it's a danger to human health when you live 700 meters from them, that is just misinformation. Yeah. And it's it's exactly the opposite of what we need in terms of uh, going towards a carbon free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need wind turbines for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also got a news item that doesn't have to do anything with COVID. <laughs> no, does it have anything to do with the drongo in the background? Then? Yes, no. it has <laughs> to do with the drongo in the background. <laughs> Some weird noises coming coming out. Yeah, yeah. I will just have to live with it. I think our listeners will understand. Yes. <laughs> because it is important to stay skeptical during the Black Week. Do you guys know what the Black Week is? <laughs> yes, I am a proud owner of a new uh, computer screen due to it. <laughs> mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the week before Black Friday uh, yeah. connected to Thanksgiving. Police in Germany is warning against fake shops on the internet. Mm. So if uh, things look like way too cheap, too good to be true, then they probably aren't true. (laughs) Mm. And they say there are two different kind of of shops, either fraudulent shops that just don't exist where you order things and um, you never get it. You've paid for it and you never get get the item. But also there are also shops that just send you cheap rubbish and you you ordered something of high quality. And the problem is that these shops sometimes look like Amazon or eBay, but aren't real. And they just have, instead of the DE or the .net or .org, they have .info or another ending. Sometimes they also steal or like buy domains that just have just been set free <laughs> by the former mm-hmm. owners. Yeah. It's very often that people order things and pay and then they don't get anything. And the police says if if that happens to you during Black Week, not only in Germany but internationally, then contact the police because they have to know. Um, otherwise, they can't do anything about it. And also contact your bank because it might be possible to get your money back. Okay. Yeah. More non-COVID news, even though I will mention COVID a few times. <laughs> While we are busy 
fighting COVID, measles is still lurking in the shadows. Long-time listeners remember how we used to have at least monthly measles update during uh, 2017, 2018, when there was a big uh, epidemic. But then it sort of petered out and we got also uh, other things to worry about. But the epidemic actually not went away, but it went down quite a lot. But measles is still out there and the WHO, together with the US CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, they have issued a new report looking into the falling measles vaccinations rates for children, very likely due to the COVID pandemic. 22 million children worldwide missed their first dose of measles last year, Mm -hmm. which is 3 million more than in 2019. So the number of children who don't get their measles vaccine is increasing year over year. The number of reported cases of measles went down, though, but that is, according to the report, likely due to underreporting, due to worse surveillance of the disease. And there were at least 24 measles vaccination campaigns that were cancelled or postponed last year because of covid So, of course, the report calls for action in this area, but um, I don't know. I'm pessimistic. I I feel uh, I'm pretty convinced that we will see a huge backlash from measles uh, in the near future. Yeah, one of the reasons why there is probably a lower number of cases reported is what you just said. And the other other, uh, reason could be that the, the number of contacts between people was much lower as well for a large chunk of the year because of lockdown situations, because of people working from home, people not not socializing that much. The moment that changes, that will be the moment that we, we see these massive surges of the cases as well. Yeah. Measles is probably the most contagious virus out there. Yeah. All right. What also is contagious is uh, the use of drugs and products that are absolutely ineffective or have no proof of efficacy in the the healthcare field. There is an organization, an Ukrainian organization, that goes by the name Center for Combating Corruption. Well, it's a very noble goal, especially in Ukraine where it is much needed. And it has an international supervisory board as well that includes names like Francis Fukuyama, the the, uh, well-known American philosopher and economist. But occasionally they order and conduct studies in different other topics, not only on corruption. One of these studies concluded that in 2020, about $500 million worth of money was used and spent by Ukrainians on kinds of drugs and health-related products that were absolutely questionable in terms of efficacy or effectiveness and safety as well. They concluded that 4 out of 10 people purchased these kinds of products in Ukraine. These included biologically active uh, different dietary supplements, also homeopathic remedies, herbal medicines, and different other kinds of over-the-counter medicines. So that is a difficult situation, and especially in a country where a large number of people have financial difficulties as well, and with an infamously terrible healthcare system, the use of ineffective treatments and products is not the way to go. So it's important that these surveys are are being made, these studies are being published, and it should be out in the public domain, and uh, people need to talk about this. Yeah, especially with the coronavirus situation, it's uh, terrible. But I believe this has been all the news that we have prepared for this week, and that means that we need to find out who's been really wrong lately. Who else has been really wrong lately? I think Uh, we've mentioned quite a few of them already tonight. (laughs) But here we go. Anthroposophic nonsense is causing COVID problems. The Waldorf School of Freiburg Freiburg in Germany (laughs) has been discovered to cheat with mask exemptions for the students. Was that okay? Freiburg? Yeah. (laughs) Good. Waldorf schools often referred to as Steiner schools, are following the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian mystic and inventor of a lot of esoteric mumbo-jumbo, 
uh, in the early 1900s. He started out as part of the, or working with the Theosophic movement, but he soon went into business of his own, in a way. He founded Anthroposophy (laughs) uh, with ideas on farming according to the cycles of the moon, and he borrowed ideas which are uh, similar to homeopathy, and he also applied that to medicine. Um, So he invented something called Anthroposophic medicine. The farming he called biodynamic farming. He also dabbled in pedagogy. That's where the schools come in. Mm. He had no qualifications for that, but he initiated the Waldorf or Steiner schools, which focus a lot on aesthetic methods, uh, a lot about drawing drawings and learning through dancing and special movements of the body, etc. To learn how to read and write too early is regarded by Steiner schools to be harmful. And some pupils, not not all, I should say, but some pupils are known to leave schools with very little factual knowledge and sometimes with very poor reading skills because of this. Followers of Steiner are often hostile to vaccinations as well. And uh, they feel, or he said, that getting sick is a necessary step in your personal development as a child. So uh, that probably lies behind uh, what happened in this particular school, the Waldorf School of Freiburg. They issued an unreasonable number of mask exemptions for their students. And even though the rules say that such exemptions have to be individually assessed, Many of them were just copy-pasted, and they were just identical. And the result was sad and predictable. Over 100 people at the school got COVID in October alone. So uh, and now, of course, the authorities Idiots. are on them, and they have promised to stop doing this, but yadi yadi yadi. and why do we allow Steiner schools in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so... For keeping an outdated and esoteric school model, never proven, often discredited, endangering the public as well as their own staff and students, the Waldorf School of Freiburg gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. Well deserved. I I was waiting for you to say that. (laughs) And it is indeed. Idiocies should not be tolerated. Uh, Not in such a large scale, at least. All right. But that marks almost the end of our show. But the real closing part has to be when we get a quote. Yes, I looked for a quote that fits well to what we're having here right now with people that take horse worm medication (laughs) instead of a vaccination that's proven to work. um, I found a quote by Hans Rösling um, in his book Factfulness. And Hans Rösling was a Swedish Professor for Health and an international public speaker. He was born nineteen <laughs> He was born nineteen forty-eight and sadly passed away in two thousand and seventeen. And the quote hmm. is there's no room for facts when our minds are occupied by fear. Here, here. Yeah. That explains it really well. Did he say it in a uh, lecture or talk? Because I can actually hear him say that with his... <laughs> I he, he might have, but this was from the book. So. Yeah, this was out of the book, uh, okay. but he could have but, easily said yeah. it in a, in a talk too. We yeah. actually, you may not know this, Annika, because you weren't here then. We actually reached out to him and tried to get him on the show way back when, but we didn't know that he was sick and he died mm-hmm. uh, six months after that. Yeah, I only know that, like, I, I listened to when you recommended the book, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. Gave it to my, my dad for, for Christmas. <laughs> but his Very son, good. Ola, is, is, is continuing the work. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, could, uh, we could reach out to him. Yes. Yeah, I I think we should do that. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And with that, I think it's time for us to close the show. I mean, not not for good. (laughs) Bye. Just this episode. (laughs) And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislap. This has been your ESP experience. 
The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And now this, the dog starts barking. Nice. <laughs> It's always that. It was waiting for the show to begin. Exactly. Mm, what's his name? Fuck. <laughs> That's not his name. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it should be. Have been. That's that's um, Google Translate. Sorry, I will say that again. How fast can I for hope there? Pretty stupid. Everyone will. I have to do something with the verbs here because you know how Germans are with verbs. Do you want help? <laughs> no, no. I just want to put it in the same tense. Ah. No, it's it's not the it's not the verbs that are the Germans are the worst with. It's the nouns. Yeah, oh you just you put the, the verbs in the nouns. wrong place. But okay, fine. <laughs> compound <laughs> nouns.